Amen? And we're getting into the Word of God and we're looking at the kingdom of God. So how about we just all close our eyes just for, for a tick? God, today, we invite the ministry of your Spirit through your Word right now. That we wouldn't be like the priesthood in Eli's time that became so familiar that they just missed it completely. God, give us fresh vision, fresh water, fresh manna. Oh, oh, let the scales fall from our eyes where they need to fall. Let our hearts beat again for you, God. Let our hearts beat again for you. We humble ourselves before you and we say, Lord, take every part of us, have your way. Have your way in every part of us. Every part of us. All for Jesus. All is for your glory. All is for your glory. And the people said, all is for his glory. I remember a dream, I was talking to someone during the week and I remember a dream I had 18 years ago. How many had dreams 18 years ago that you remember? Oh, there's a few. 18 years ago, I had a dream. A dream that is unfulfilled. It's unfulfilled in the natural, but it's unfulfilled in my spirit. It was at the Baptist church that we were pastoring in Tassie at the time, and it was a building that in its heyday used to seat 1,400, 1,500 people. They were literally sitting on the rafters when revival. Hudson Taylor spoke there, and it was packed to the rafters. And there was a move of God in Launceston in the early 1900s that, that, that shook the city, that brick walls fell down. The pastor at the time was so bold, he prayed a prayer. He said, Lord, shake this city that we would know you. Well, God did shake the city. And these brick walls fell down and someone tried to sue the pastor or sue God for an act of God. True story. True story. And so when we pastored this church, we looked around. It was a group of 40 people in a building that seated a 1,000. And I began to just cry out to thinking that we needed a move of the Spirit. We needed a fresh breath of God because it was never meant to be like this. And in my dream one night, hands up who recognizes that God can speak through dreams? I hope so because it's biblical. Dreams are biblical. For some reason, we have this thinking because it's a counterfeit thing about the new age and about all this stuff that we think that, you know, the enemy has gotten in there and sowed seeds where we think we don't, that God doesn't use dreams. That is the furthest thing from the truth. God spoke in dreams and he continues to speak in dreams. And sometimes it's because he needs to get our attention because he can't get our attention during the day. That's true. But I had this dream, and I spoke 
I got up on the platform. There was this platform that was a little bit raised. It was probably about that. And in my dream, I didn't even get out my first sentence. I was four or five words into my sentence. And the breath of God just came. And there was people running. They were running. In fact, in the dream, they were climbing off the balconies because they couldn't get to the front fast enough. It wasn't about the front. It was about that there was a breath of God and the spirit of repentance was coming amongst the people of God and they recognized that how, how wretched they were without him and they came running. They were running down the stairways. They were running down the aisles. They were climbing over the, the balcony, which was about, I don't know how high the balcony is, probably as high as the top of that window. And they were just jumping. Oh. Do we want to see that? If you do, you've got to get out of your lounge chair. You've got to get out of your place of comfort. You've got to be willing to pay the sacrifice. Jesus has paid the ultimate sacrifice. He's simply calling us to partner with him. Anyway, um... I just felt to share that for some reason. Two weeks ago, I started by saying that we don't just need a revival and how I'm jealous for God because the word revival has been so watered down. I'm not standing here against revival. I'm not standing here against I'm not speaking against that, but it's become so watered down that it's really more of a refreshing Revival when there was a Welsh revival or the Isle of Lewis revival or whatever. This, the, the pubs were empty. The jails were empty. There was such an awakening that took place. It wasn't just a good meeting where we felt the goosebumps on us and a few people got healed and some people fell down. It was something that touched the city. It was something that changed the course of a nation. That is the move of God that we contend for. But we don't just need that. We need a reformation to go with it. We need a reformation of our thinking. We need a reformation of our theology. We need a reformation because God just doesn't want something that's here today and gone tomorrow. He wants us to return to the ways of the early church that lived out the kingdom of God day after day, week after week, year after year. Is there an amen to that? It doesn't need to stop. That's what I'm trying to say. And I'm convinced that in my prayer time, lately I've just been hearing the word faithful. You know, ultimately Jesus says, well done. Well, hopefully he says, <laughs> well done, good and faithful servants. I think that the fire has been so strong and the trials have been so deep 
Because he's looking for a people who will be faithful. Because he needs to get all the glory. People are not going to gather for a ministry or a charismatic figure or a name other than the name of Jesus. And I think he wants to get us to a place where we can simply say, God, all is for your glory. And there's nothing of us in there because it's all is for his glory. John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he may increase. We do need a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit. We've seen fires in our nation. We've seen floods in our nation. I've been checking back with family in Tassie because some people's houses have gone underwater. There's been so much water down there. If Tassie normally gets a good dose of water, it's like 50 mil. So to get 200 mil is like absolutely staggering. We've seen water in the last 18 months from Alice Springs through the centre. We've seen floods coming right across our nation. And yes, in some ways it's bad and, you know, for people, their, their livelihood, their houses get caught up in it. But it is a flooding of our nation. For the first time in so long, the Murray-Darling Basin is full and overflowing. Do we recognise the significance of these things? Lake Eyre is full. Everything is full. Everything is full. The ground is so full of water in so much of our nation that that is while it's running. But we need a breath. We need a breath. And I was reminded this week in Ezekiel 37 of the dry bones. Of the dry bones. Sorry, still got an odd tear or two. And he was prophesying to the bones. He was prophesying to the tendons. He was prophesying to the flesh. But they needed the breath, the ruach, the breath of God. They needed the breath, prophesied to the breath. Breath of God, come, come, O breath of God, come and fill these people. And that's just like the day of Pentecost. That is exactly what happened again. There was such a great roaring wind that came through that place and tongues of fire came and, 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 and sat upon the people and they all began to speak in tongues as the Holy Spirit enabled them. And people heard the gospel in their own language. That is the kingdom of God's. But it's a breath. A breath of heaven. We need a breath of heaven. Breathe away all the cobwebs. Breathe away. You know, it's like there might be a little flickering flame in our heart that's still beating for Jesus. But what does the, what does the wind do? What does the, the breath do when you breathe upon the flame? That's not a tricky question. It gets bigger. You know... You look back in the Welsh revivals, one of the songs was, Breathe on me, breath of God. Breathe on me, breath of God. Breathe on me, breath of God. We need a reformation as well, because the reformation will lead to transformation. We see in Scripture, the early church, 
The kingdom of heaven was advancing. Is there an amen to that? I want to just turn to Acts 17 as an example. In verse 6, and this is what they said of these people. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Isn't that an amazing statement? That God was moving so powerfully through a group of people that everyone else had heard about it. And when they turned up, they said, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. That is what the kingdom of God does. The kingdom of God, when it invades, when it comes into a space, whether it's your heart and life or whether it's in a city, in a greater manifestation, the kingdom of God turns everything upside down because out of death comes life. We come not to be served but to serve and to give our lives as a ransom. The kingdom of God turns everything upside down. Less is actually more. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. As you give, as you give in all kinds of ways, you're actually opening up the storehouses of heaven. But it just continued. It wasn't just in Acts 2. It wasn't just in Acts 3. It wasn't just in Acts 4. Let's just go all the way through to Acts 19. And just, and just, be, just remember here that this is not just two days later. I just want to say that because sometimes we can just read through the book of Acts and we can go, oh, yeah, that all happened in a week. No, it didn't. And in Acts 19, a city was being changed. Hands up who believes a city can be changed. A city can be changed. It is totally biblical. We see it in Scripture. And if I, I say, if it happened then, why not now? Why not today? Why, why can't a city be changed? Why, let's even go bigger. Why can't a nation be changed? We've seen it in history that a whole nation can be changed. And you know what? Australia needs to be changed. There is no doubt about it. Come on. In Acts 19, in verse 11, it says, God was performing extraordinary. Say extraordinary. Oh, come on, say it again. Extraordinary. God was performing extraordinary, extra, extraordinary. Not just, oh, yeah, I've seen that before, but extraordinary. Wow. You know, signs and wonders are signs and wonders because they make us wonder how great God is. God was performing extraordinary miracles through the hands of Paul so that even face cloths, all aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. <laughs> That's extraordinary. We've, and we've done a few of those here. We've done a few handkerchiefs sent in the mail to somewhere else. It's cool. Now, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists who attempted to... Yeah, ex... Yeah, you know, I'm not good with words, exorcists. Anyway, you know who I mean. Attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by Jesus that Paul preaches. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. The evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus and I recognize Paul, but who are you? <laughs> You've got to have a relationship with Jesus. Like, come on. 
The evil spirit answered them. Oh, sorry, I've, I've said that. Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they ran out of the house naked and wounded. Have you ever encountered a demon through somebody? And like their strength just goes from not human strength to like some stupid strength? Extraordinary. Well, not extraordinary, well, kind of, but you know what I mean. I learned the hard way once because I like closing my eyes when I pray and I was casting this demon out of someone and they kicked me. They did. But lucky I didn't get a broken bone. It was that hard. It was nuts. So when you're doing that, don't close your eyes, okay? When this became known, but this is what I want to get to. When, when this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, Jews and Greeks, they became afraid. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. Oh, that the name of Jesus would be held in high esteem. Not just in our city, but in the church. We have lowered his name. We need to exalt his name. And many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices. While many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. So they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. In this way, the word of the Lord flourished and prevailed. That was a move of God that was happening in that city. That people who not only came and said, I have need of Jesus, but they came from lifestyles of witchcraft and, and all this stuff, and they recognized that it was wrong, and they went, this all has to go. This all has to go. Can you imagine going through your cupboard and finding your best um, CD collection or your DVD collection that's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars and saying, this has all got to go? Whatever is precious to you. Can, can you imagine going home? Can you imagine going home and finding that piece of, you know, China that's worth $100,000 and going, this, this, this just has to go? It was, it, it was a proof that God was truly working in people's hearts because it wasn't just lip service. It was actually overflowing. Can you imagine that happening in Bundaberg? We, just, we, we, we could just use the oval out there that people are being so touched by the Spirit of God that people go, just hang on a minute. Don't go home yet. I have to go home and get my stuff and I need to bring it back and we're going to have a bonfire. Woo! You see, cities were being changed because people were being changed. The heart of God is for cities or for the people who live in them. I, I was joking last week, but it's true. All the way from Nineveh, when Jonah goes, uh-uh, I'm not going to Nineveh. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Well, I'm just going to have to go in the belly of the whale for a little bit then. Okay, I'll go to Nineveh. Paul in Ephesus, through to Bundaberg today, Scripture is full of God's heart for cities. Two of my favorite verses that I'm meditating on and praying into at the moment come from um, the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah 58, talking about a people that were fasted, their lifestyle was fasted to the Lord. Everything they did was for the Lord. And he says to them, he says, Some of you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will restore the foundations laid. 
long ago. You will be called the repairer of broken walls, the restorer of streets where people live. That's a city. We are called to rebuild, restore, and renew cities. Why not? You go, oh, okay, Tim, I'm not, I'm not sure about that. Well, then you turn to Isaiah 61. And Jesus mentioned these words when he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. Remember? He's sent me, he sent me, or he's anointed me to bring the good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to set the prisoners free. And of course, it goes on and on and on. These people that, ex- that experience this ministry, it says they will be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify him. And these people will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore the former devastations. They will renew the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. And I look at Bundaberg, and Bundaberg is in a place that is in ruin, that is in the devastation of many generations. They, it is stuck in generational cycles of poverty Um, and sickness, and oppression, and fear, and Freemasonry, and witchcraft. It's stuck. And the Lord is looking for a people who will move and say, we want to renew, restore, and rebuild Bundaberg for the glory of the Lord's. The Lord is looking for a people who will pastor, if I can use that word for a minute, a city. We have to lift our vision beyond the fellowship of restoration. We have to lift our vision to a city and to a region and to a country. But we'll start in our Jerusalem and let it go to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But I don't want to focus on that today. I really wanted to. But the Lord said, what stops my people? What stops my people seeing the outworking of the gospel of the kingdom today? We're going to get more into that city thing another day. Because the Lord just had me sit on this. He said, what stops my people from seeing my kingdom come in the ways that you read about in Scripture? We could say lack of teaching, mindsets, fear, but we miss the foundational issue. It's us. It's our heart. And when I say our heart, I'm not talking about the thing that goes boop, 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 and pumps the blood around. I'm talking about the core of our being, who we are. We haven't given everything to him. Jesus doesn't have all of us. Is that okay to say that? Jesus doesn't have all of us. You see, the early church didn't fit Jesus into their life. He became their life. 
And the church in Australia tries to fit Jesus into their life. Christians try to fit Jesus into their life rather than the essence of the kingdom is we must be born again from above. When we are born again, everything from the old is gone. That is baptism. I am dead to self and I am alive in Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Let the essence of that verse become a manifestation in our life. It is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. Is there an amen to that? God's heart is to see his kingdom come. He has made every provision. He has done it all, absolutely everything. We don't need any more. He's done it. His heart is to transform Bundaberg. I know it because I've wept over it. But he desires a people yielded, holy to him. You know, in Romans 12.1, it says, In view of God's mercy. You have to ponder it, don't you? We reminded about the mercy seat of God this morning. In view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as living sacrifices of worship. Holy, pleasing to Him. We're going to turn to some verses in Matthew. Are we going okay? In Matthew 19. Verse 16. Just then someone came up and asked him, "Teacher, what good must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he asked him. Jesus answered, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honour your father and your mother. And love your neighbour as yourself. I've kept all these. I've been a good boy. I've kept all them. I haven't murdered anyone. I haven't committed adultery. I've never stolen anything. I've been good to my parents. I've done this. I, I'm, I'm just on that. What do I still lack? If you want to be perfect, if you want to be complete, Jesus said to him, go, sell your belongings and give them to the poor and then you will have treasure in heaven and you can come follow me. The young man heard that. He went away grieving because of all his possessions. It may not be possessions for you but what is it that you're holding on to that you haven't given to Jesus. What is stopping you from following him wholeheartedly?
Remember in verse six that we, chapter 6 we looked at a few weeks ago? Where your treasure is, your heart is also. In Matthew 13, we read the kingdom in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied it. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and he bought it. This is a twofold principle here in the kingdom of God, that you are the treasure in the field, that you are the priceless pearl, and that God has given everything he had, that is his son, for you. But then, when we find Jesus, we give up everything to follow him. We don't hold anything back. In Matthew, we bounce around in Matthew a little bit. Matthew talks a lot about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And he says in uh, uh, chapter 22, once more Jesus spoke to them in parables. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants uh, to summon those invited to the banquet, but they didn't want to come. Again, he sent out other servants, tell those who are invited, see, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fattened uh, cattle have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet for everything is ready. But they paid no attention and they went away. One to his own farm and another to his own business. It says at the end of that parable, Jesus says these words. He says, for many are called, but few are chosen. It's interesting that into, in, uh, into English that it kind of gets translated like that because it's not really the meaning. It starts when we, when we hear the words, many are called, but few are chosen, it can conjure up the wrong mindset in our thinking. Because if you actually keep it in the context of the invitation to the wedding banquet has gone out, that many are called but few actually choose to respond to that call. The invitation is going out everywhere. And obviously the ultimate, well, sorry, not the ultimate, the first invitation was given to the Jews. Come for everything is ready. Come for everything is ready. Come for everything is ready. No, we're not coming. And that's why it said that they started to kill the prophets and all that kind of stuff. But how symbolic of that is of, of, of believers in the church. Come, everything is ready, come. It's interesting that Luke records a large banquet. The parable of the large banquet. And he recalls it when Jesus was teaching. And he says, a man was giving a large banquet, a table of fellowship. And he invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who were invited, come because everything is ready. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said, I've bought a field 
and I must go out and see it. That's about possessions. I've got something. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. When does our business, when does our work, when does our other stuff get in the way? When does our livelihood get in the way? And another said, I just got married. That's not a bad excuse. But it is still an excuse. Bring your spouse with you. That's a good answer. It would have been a good answer. I just got married and therefore I cannot come. You see, he, Jesus here is hitting possessions. He's hitting work, livelihood, and he's hitting people. Three areas that make up our life. The stuff that we could accumulate. The jobs and the livelihoods and things. The people that are in our lives. And we can make an excuse. No, I just can't come. The people didn't give him everything. They were not willing to give up that one thing that meant that, that he would have everything. What is the one thing that is stopping us from giving up everything for the cause of the kingdom of God? You see, we can pray for a city to be changed. We can pray for a nation to be changed. But God is actually looking for a people that, say, that will actually come and say, I'm going to be part of the change. We're seeing it on a Monday night. We're seeing it on a Tuesday night. We're seeing as people are going out and feeding people. Conversations are happening. Things are happening. But it's just scratching the surface. God is looking for a people who will say, I want, I'm going to give up everything for the cause of the kingdom. Now, that doesn't mean that you need to go tomorrow and go to your boss and say, sorry, I'm quitting my job. But Steve's really disappointed by that. I just want to clarify this. But what is God calling Steve to do in his job? What is stopping him? Sorry, I'm, I'm not picking on you, brother. I'm just using you as an example. What is stopping him from seeing change in normal school? What is in him that he hasn't given to God? God has sent each one of us into different spheres of society. It doesn't mean we all quit our jobs and we live in caravans and we park them on the oval out there, I don't know. <laughs> You hear what I'm saying? It's not about that. It's about our heart. It's about our heart that I'm living for the cause of the kingdom, whether I'm at work, whether I'm with my family, whether I'm, you know, giving, helping, serving, whatever. I am living for the cause of the kingdom. What is stopping us? I think about it. When we think about what the Father has done for us, sometimes we just need to go back to, this, to, to the basics of the gospel, don't we? To remind ourselves again 
that God the Father so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He gave everything that he had. What about the son? What about Jesus? It said, it says in Philippians that he did not consider equality with God. You know, he left his place of glory. He left the glory. He left being with the Father. He left being in that place. And he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. And he became obedient even to death on the cross. What about the son? The son gave everything. You see, God doesn't ask anything of us that he hasn't done himself. When we're struggling with forgiveness, oh, I can't forgive Carolee. Oh, Carolee. God has forgiven me of everything. Oh, who am I to withhold forgiveness from Carolee? He doesn't ask anything of us that he, he hasn't already done. He, he, he gave everything. How do we respond to that? It's not by saying, I didn't like the message today. That music today, those songs today, I didn't really like those songs today. I got offended with that person, what they did to me. I'm so offended at that person. Oh, that Matter Bell, I don't know, every time I see him, he just like, you know, makes the hair stand up on my back. You're all good because I don't have any hairs on my back, so you're all good. When we are like that, it shows he doesn't have all of us. Because when was the word of God about us? When was the song that we sang today about us? When was worship ever about us? When was anything about us? It's about Him. I just spent, I'm trying to finish up now. Are we going all right? I'm just like, I just like, in, you just go into 1 Corinthians 13 and you speak about love. And when, when the word love is there, you know, this is God's love. And, and you can insert God there because God is love. Is there an amen to that? And you, and you read it and you just go, my goodness. If I speak in human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, if I don't have God, if God is not the center, if God is not the focus, if it's not all for his glory, I'm just like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, if I do not have the fullness of God, if God is not the center, if God is not the focus, if it's not all for his glory, I, have, I am nothing. And if I give everything, all my possessions, if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. This is what Jesus was speaking to the rich young man about. You can do all this stuff, but yet I'm looking at your heart. Love is patient. 
Who has trouble with patience? Yeah, see, God, we just need more of you. (laughs) We need to surrender that you would have your way. Love is kind. Love does not envy. When was the last time you were like, gee, I wish I could be like that person? Gee, I wish I had what they had. Oh, how come, God? How come I don't have what they have? How come I'm not like them? It's not arrogant. I don't like arrogance. It's like a stench, isn't it? It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not irritable. It does not keep a record of wrongs. Oh, let the church of Bundaberg, the church of Australia, start to move in the love of God. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. I could go on to speak about the gifts of the Spirit in here. Because it starts to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. And I grew up, you know, with, oh, there's a bird in here. That's a right of sparrows found its home near the nest of God. And that's all good. You know... What's that? Oh, it's a bird. Oh, butcher bird. Butcher bird. Anyway, that's a distraction. You know, I was brought up in a place of cessationalism where everything has ceased. But if we really read this, if we kept reading, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. But that's not now. That's when we see him face to face. When I was like a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. But now we only see a reflection as in a mirror, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully. These things remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. When we see him face to face, we do not need faith anymore. We do not need hope anymore because we are already with him in glory. But love will never fail. Love will remain because love will continue. Is there an amen to that? We need to read the whole passage and not just pull out a verse of context. But anyway, that's for another day. To see this region come to know, it's really trying to get out, isn't it? To see this region come to know the love of God, the power of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the presence of God, the glory of God. Yes, we need a breath of the Spirit. But we need a reformation. And it starts in us. 
It starts in us. Music team, do you want to come? When I was praying into this, I guess that's what I was trying to get out this morning. When I said, you know, about the announcements and stuff. Because what I saw when I was praying, if, God's, if God has our heart, things will just become spontaneous. You can't keep a lid on a good ginger beer locked down for too long. It's like my friend in Tassie who tried to and there was shards of glass all over his laundry because the ginger beer just went boom and it smashed the glass and it went flying and there was glass in the plaster. If God has all of you, it cannot be contained. You cannot contain it. You cannot contain the love of God. You can't keep it between 10 and 12 on a Sunday. You can't just keep it to your, to your wife or to your husband or to your kids. The love of God, if God has all of you, it will start to overflow. You want to love other people. If God has all of you, you want to give. You want to give through, yeah, the tithes and offerings, but you want to give. You see someone in need during the week and you want to give. And I'm not just talking about finance. I'm talking about of your time, of your love, of your gifts, of your strength, of your energy. Whatever it is, when, when God has all of you, it cannot be contained. And you know, you, know what, when, you know when I know that God will really be moving amongst us? And I'm not trying to paint a picture that means this has to happen in this certain way. But when we come through the door and the team is up the front and they're just worshipping and whether it's 9.45 or whether it's 9.30, we just hear and we just start worshipping. When we don't just wait for someone to go, um, it's, you know, maybe we should pray. But you just start to pray. You just start to pray. Oh, God, breathe on me. Breathe on us. Breathe on us, God. We're not waiting for people to say we need to do this and we need to do this and we need to do that. But the overflow is happening. We come and we start to pray. And even now, Christy, can you just give us something beautiful? We don't need to wait for the words that are on the screen to sing a song. It can come from our heart and that's the kind of worship that God loves. Worship in spirit and in truth. Not worshipping by rote because they're on a screen, but because they're in our heart. The words are in our hearts. And we can just say, we love you, Jesus. There's no one like you, Lord. And it doesn't matter whether you can't sing in tune because God says, make a joyful noise. He's not... He, when, when you sing, He's not hearing what, what we hear. He's not hearing what we hear. It has been filtered and He hears a beautiful sound. So just sing. And we come and we gather and we look at our state of our, the state of our city and our nation and we go, Jesus, we need you. We need the breath of your spirit. 
because we're tired of young babies being aborted. We're tired of people being caught up in, 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 in adultery and in lifestyles that don't glorify you. We're tired of possessions and goods being our focus. We're tired of money, the, the, the greed that is in our corporate world. We're tired of it. We need you. We, we could have a Holy Ghost prayer meeting on a Sunday morning. We don't need to wait till a Friday night at quarter past seven. Then we know something starts to bubble away. Can you see the picture? Let's not just wait. Let's not wait to be asked. Let's not wait for the words. Let's not wait, but say, God, here I am. Have all of me, every part of me. Let it all be for your glory. Renewing us a passion for you, Jesus. Come breathe upon the coals of our hearts, oh God. Let your fire burn. Come on. You can start worshiping. You can start singing. You can start making a beautiful noise. You can start praying. You can start interceding. Just let it rise this morning. Just let it rise this morning. Oh, oh, Jesus. We love you, we worship you, we bless 